My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. You're my Savior, even through the mountains. God, You are mighty to save. You are mighty to save.
Heavenly Father, Lord, it is such a wonderful thought and a feeling to know that we are your 
children, that we are your sons and daughters, that you've adopted us through faith in Jesus Christ. What a gracious and loving and merciful God you are. Thankful, Lord, that we are the body of Christ. Your word tells us that collectively as we gather Christ's work, Christ's spirit, Christ's ethics are being applied together in unity. And so, God, we thank you so very much for each and every single person here today. We're thankful, Father, for all those who are online who are unable to come to be with us in person today. Lord, we're thankful that together we're here to give you glory, to be encouraged, to be an encouragement to each other, to celebrate communion together in unity, united in Jesus Christ. Lord, this world is divided. This world has a lot of fractures, a lot of attitudes, a lot of different ideas about morality, a lot, certainly many different ideas about who you are and what you do and what you want. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for the scriptures that give us direction, that your Holy Spirit inspires us and molds us and shapes us, and not just for our own growth, but Lord God, for service, that we can together, as a body, serve you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. And now, don't sit down. Different day, different day. I want, I've got a task. We're going to do the say hello to each other this morning, and I've got two tasks for you. One, I want you to start off with your own name. Don't be shy. You've got one. Tell them your name, even if you've known them for a bazillion years. Say, hi, I'm... And then, I call this Amnesty Sunday. Let's pretend you really don't know. And, And maybe you don't. And here's the kicker. There are many new people here at church, or relatively new people. You may not know their names. So today, I'm giving you some extra time. I want you to find those people and say hi and know who they are. Okay? Let's go. Let's do it. The body of Christ. Let's do it.
Jeff Bruce. Let's see it. If you're uh, in the Sunday, the children's church, kids are free to go down the hallway, middle high schoolers, head on down. Thank you for our teachers. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, we sometimes forget who's who and all that, and it gets embarrassing because it's like, you know, I should know your name. You said, you said what your name was like three months ago, and now I can't remember it. No surprise, right? So every now and then we like to do this, kind of stir the, the mix around a little bit. And uh, Gabe, are you heading down there? Okay, just checking, making sure I didn't give the wrong information. Yeah, in the midst of it all, I, I just now said they can head on down, so... Yeah, just want to make sure we don't miss out. For those of us that are here in the sanctuary, welcome everybody. I'm Pastor Bruce. If I didn't get a chance to meet you personally, I hope I will eventually. And my wife Jenny's the one that plays the piano, so now you know a little bit about us. And uh, there's more to the story, so lots more. Um, the, the, the reason that I decided that today would be a great day is two reasons. One is there are some new folks here at church, relatively new, and it's sometimes you don't know who they are, and it's nice to break the ice and say hello. I know that for the really extreme introverts, that was a horrible moment for you, and I apologize. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind of introverted too, so you know it, it's kind of hard to get out of your shell a little bit, but sometimes you just need that little extra kick and realize how friendly folks are, and they're not going to bite you, so that's good. Um, it also fits the sermon today that we are the body of Christ and we should recognize each other and to work together for the Lord's sake and his glory. And so I wanted us to turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 12, and we're going to uh, read verses 3 through 8. I'm not going to read it, or I will read it as a whole, and then we're going to break it down into its component parts on this Communion Sunday. I titled the sermon, How is Our Body Language? It really doesn't have anything to do with body language as we would understand it in school. The title really refers to how are we expressing and exemplifying Jesus Christ in the world as we are together in worship or in ministry. And that's a very important part because how we act and and attitudes and behaviors and ministries are vitally important as part of our outreach, evangelism, and discipleship. Those are our three main points of emphasis here. And so I wanted to read now for us the Word of God that we could truly transform into the image of the body of Christ that God has in mind for us. Hear now the Word of the Lord. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. 
If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Lord, we pray that these words will mean more than just their superficial meaning, that we will truly embrace and own our relationship with you and with each other. Lord God, we don't want to just think that it's personal, me and you, individually, but Lord God, sometimes we forget that we are a body gathered together to work together in ways that you already knew about and planned for and expect. And so, Lord, we ask now that your Holy Spirit guide our thoughts and our attitudes Help us to examine ourselves as to our body language, how it is that we are working together for your glory and our role in it. In Jesus' name, amen. A bit of background. Uh, verses 1 and 2 in chapter 12 really set the tone for four chapters. From 12 to 15, Paul resonates with renewing our minds so that we know what the will of God is and how to apply it. And it's very, the whole section of Romans that we're in right now is all about application. And so Paul jumps right into what you may have noticed if you've been in church for a long time, read your Bibles. You've just seen a glimpse of a bunch of spiritual gifts, they're called. Uh, it's not an incomplete list. There is no such thing as a complete list in Scripture, which tells us that it wasn't meant to be codified into these are the things we do and then anything else is not a spiritual gift. It's just a sampling to jog our thoughts and to get us active in the life of the body of Christ. So in verses 1 and 2, we want to honor God at all times with our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And in doing that, we read the word, which renews our minds, that the filtration that we suffer from in the world around us that speaks into our minds, not necessarily through the lens of Scripture or in godly ways, that we can be renewed in what does God think? What is good? What is really good? What would God want me to do? And what's the benchmark for us? It's Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very influential in who we are and what we do. Um, I realize without the overhead, the outlines, sometimes I'll, I just kind of fluidly move through my sermon. And last Sunday, some of you said, I didn't get the blanks filled in. Well, I'm going to make sure that I make sure that we get that today uh, until we get this put back up somehow. So... The second point in your outline after the background, which is already filled in for you, is maintain the right mindset. That's what I've received from this. Maintain, keep it current, keep it renewed, keep it fresh, keep it God-centered. Keep that right mindset. Maintain it. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, in other words, by an act of God, without Paul's deserving. God just gave it to Paul. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, not somebody you know, but to you and to me, each one of us individually, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul isn't an apostle or an evangelist or a teacher because he just thought, you know, I'm pretty good at this. He realized that the 
experiences that he'd had, the gifts that he'd been given, the abilities that he'd been given by God were from God. And that's why he says, by the grace given to me. Nobody told Paul what to do. Paul knew that God had told him what to do. And sometimes that's hard to figure out. You know, you kind of wander around sometimes. Paul spent three years in the desert after he met Jesus. We don't know what was happening, but I suspect it was a transformative time in Paul's life. Okay, God, who are you? Who am I? Let's get back to the basics. He probably went through the entire Old Testament looking for all the evidences and the education that he missed before, and now he's then equipped and ready to go. But he knew that God had called him to do something specific, and that's to be the evangelist to the Gentiles, specifically. So he knows that this is a call from God, not from somebody else. And our ministry as well, whatever yours is, Mine is preaching and teaching, I think, primarily, but I'm also an encourager. Um, I think that these are the things that I had no clue I'd be doing. I didn't grow up thinking, I'm going to be a pastor someday. I did think about it in my teenage years, but after I met with Reverend Starkey in a, a lunchtime together, I walked out of having lunch with him, and I said, nope, not, not it, nope. There, no lights went on, no flashes of inspiration, no warmth in my heart. Just, I don't know if I want to do that. It was not inspiring whatsoever. And then I went to college, and I had two of the worst Bible courses of my life. Taught by, uh, I still remember, you know, you can remember teachers' names if they're really, really good. And I think I can remember teachers' names when they're really, really bad. And it's weird because of the few teachers whose names I remember, those two stand out. And they're still there at that university. Two worst Bible courses, one Old Testament, one New Testament, and I walked out of both totally disgusted, and I was a science major in biology at the time, and I thought, well, obviously, that's not the road for me. And God had the real last laugh on that one. I did not see it coming. Even when we went to Germany for two years, I taught English. I knew teaching was part of my puzzle. In fact, I even went to the University of Washington, and I said, what would it take to get into your teaching program? I thought about getting a PhD in human physiology and being a professor and teaching in university. That was where I originally was thinking. University of Washington said, none of your credits, all three years as biology major, won't count. You have to start from scratch. And I said, no way. And I walked away from that one. I didn't know what God was doing. Then we went to Germany, and I was teaching English for two years. We had a wonderful experience living on a dime, and it was a one of the best times in our life, teaching the English. I did well. The students were happy. They're now all over the world doing missional work. And then I realized in that environment, I didn't want to be a, just a teacher. I wanted to have more of an engagement in people's lives as, as a whole and preaching and sharing and all that. And so God took me out of that ministry, and I went to Alaska, and that's where we were really tested. Um, and then I've come down here. I did not know this. All I can say is, by the grace of God, I'm doing what I believe God's called me to do. And, and it takes a while sometime to figure it out. But it's there, and I don't attribute it to any skill set that I have on my own, and it's not about me, it's about God. And like Paul, we should all of us, all of us say, by the grace of God, this is what God wants me to do. And it may take a while to figure it out. You may try on some things for size and find out it didn't fit. That's okay. I tried several things on for size and found out it didn't fit. Sometimes the circumstances don't line up. You just have to be willing and available 
to let the grace of God guide you and direct you and not to be impatient. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. The word workmanship means a work of art. There are no two sculptures that are the same. There are no, no two paintings that are the same. When God painted or sculpted you, he made you unique. In other words, each one of us has a place in the body of Christ, and you are irreplaceable. That's what Paul is saying. So let's look what else he says in Ephesians. Created in Christ Jesus, that's our benchmark, that's our identity, to do what? To do good works. Not for our salvation, that's very clear, but in response to being in Christ. We know that we're here for a reason. You're not at church to do church and go home and forget it. And you're not at church just to come anonymously and disappear anonymously. That's easy to do in a bigger church. In a smaller church, that's not so likely. But some folks still want to slip in and slip out, and that's not what Paul says we should be doing. It, the question is, when we're together, what's my fit in the broader shape of the body of Christ? And that's a question that we should all be asking. Uh, I'll retire someday. I don't have a date in mind, but someday that's going to happen. It's inevitable. I do, I do age every year. Um, some of you may not. You know, you're 39 again for the fourth year in a row or whatever. But this is just reality. And yet, Jenny and I talk about this, and you know, it, it may not have the same form. I may not be preaching, but you know what? I've got a desire in me maybe to teach Sunday school. Do you think we need some good Sunday school teachers in any church, anywhere? You know, it, it doesn't end. I don't want to lay down the tools, but at the same time, God, what do you want me to do? See, I am open. That, that should be the case every day of our lives, not just at the end of something, but the scope of our lives. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? What gifts have you given me that I can give you glory with? What, how can I fit into a, a church, of, a group of people, some of whom I don't know that well, which is why we got up and said hi to each other this morning. How do I know that I can serve you there? And the God who brought you here would answer, yes, you can. There is a place. That's why you're here. I just want to make that so clear, that God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, occasionally, somebody will say to me, well, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Well, I don't believe that the church can have too many toes. I mean, if you're called to be a toe, then toe in. You know what I mean? Don't think that there's only room for so many toes. If you're a toe, you're a toe. Be a toe. If you're a hand, be a hand. There's just, there's room at the inn. You know what I mean? Don't think that uh, it's an exclusive club or an in-house group or a clique. It's not meant to be that at all. When we're together, we're together. And we will serve the Lord together. So there's no reason for jealousy or envy or self-pity or complacency or pride. God's gift is free. That's what grace is. And by the grace of God, he's already given us something to do and the person to be. Ephesians 3, 7, I became a servant of this gospel. Why? By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. How does Paul tell us he has an effect in ministry? It's by the power of God 
that he does what he does. Whether you're cleaning toilets or de-webbing the spider webs or whether you're preparing coffee or whether you're mowing the lawn or whether you're preaching a sermon, it is all the same to God. It's all holy. We're all called to do different things. And none of us has a higher stature in God's eyes because we're all one in Christ Jesus. And we want to apply those very things that God has gifted us to do and not relying just on ourselves. We're relying on the power of God to make it effective. My dad made coffee every Sunday. That was his thing. He was asked to be a leader in the church. He said, no, he's going to make coffee. Dad made good coffee. When dad died, the church didn't make coffee. The church said, what happened to the coffee? The point was, the man who made the coffee that you never knew about has died. How important is coffee? Well, for some of you, you would say, eh. For others of us, hey, where's the coffee? I'm not coming to that church anymore. Right? Dad made coffee. That had an important impact on ministry. The church honored my dad when he died. No coffee that Sunday. And people were like, what? See, whether anybody knows what you do or not, it's important. Nothing is unimportant. Everything is important. That's what God's design does. Every one of you, not somebody we admire or somebody we'd like to be or somebody else, but really, this is speaking to, remember what Paul said? I'm talking to all of you singly, each one of us. Now, there is a caution, though, that he throws in there. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's a problem, isn't it? How many of you ever watched the American Idol or some of the other shows where somebody says, my mom says I got a great voice in the shower, and so then they come on national TV and they're just off pitch and it's not good and they thank them for auditioning, but they send them home. They didn't have the proper, rational, realistic assessment of who they really are and what they're able to actually do. And so Paul says, look, let's, be, let's all of us be careful that we don't imagine ourselves to be more than we are or more capable than we are. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. More highly in Greek literally means hyperthink. Don't, don't hyperthink. Don't exaggerate things beyond reality. Um, it's an oddity in our culture that there is something known as an illusory superiority. Aren't you a better-than-average driver? I am. But then how, how can we be all better-than-average? Because that is statistically impossible. Now, uh, there's always something in our lives that we imagine we're better than the average. And if we think, generally speaking, we're better than average as a whole, well, that's not possible. And so Paul would say, let's be careful. In the Roman culture, for instance, humility was not a value at all. Pride was. So Paul, speaking to a very, speaking to a very pride-centered, self-centered, supported social structure, which they all had in Rome, Paul says, don't fall into that trap. Think about yourselves realistically. And that's so important. Um, narcissism, the ability to think that I'm better at something than anybody else, is on the increase. 
If you're in your 20s today, the rate of narcissism is three times higher than it was when I was young. That's a lot. There's something happening in our culture that's influencing that self-centered, all-about-me crowd, and it's increasing. And as Christians, we don't want to be like that. We want to be sober-minded and not hyper-thinking, and that's what Paul's telling us to be careful with. The key isn't just a humble attitude, but thoughtfulness. You can be humble and really wrong, you know? Like, for instance, this whole screen business. Um, I'm not supposed to lift 15 pounds for a couple months, and I'm three weeks into it, but I found myself up on a ladder dangling over the edge, looking at the screen, trying to figure out why it wasn't working, and then thankfully I got down off the ladder, realizing what an idiot I was at the moment, uh, risking uh, re-surgery there, and I said, hmm. So I got smarter people and better people to get up there and look at it, and they had all these perceptions and ideas, and I just sat there and went, I had no idea. What if I was to choose to fix it? I'd be hyper-thinking. I don't have that skill set. That's why at the beginning of worship I said, if you've got this mechanical mindset, this mind of pneumatics and lifts and arms and mechanics and stuff, then let us hear about it. I'll step back. I'm not hyper-thinking about myself in that sense. And I don't think you are either. If you're coming up, let's hear about it. We can possibly fix this ourselves. What does it mean to think of yourselves with sober judgment? It doesn't mean have a look at yourself when you're not drunk. You know? Meanwhile, at the bar, yes, I've had an illuminating moment. Give me another beer. You know, it's not it. It's, it's sober. It means realistic. It means rational. It means tied to reality. What is the real deal here? And not what we might imagine or want to be or do, but what's really real? I played piano. I had lessons for seven years. I had organ lessons for a year. I played the coronet for three years. And I'm not over here. I'm over there. So in the Martin house, we kind of have this general understanding she handles the music, Jenny does, and I admire her and the gifts God's given her. I do the preaching. Now, outside the pulpit, she does more of the talking. But I do the preaching. And she's biblically very wise and wonderful and inspiring and, and solid, but we have different gifts. And, and we apply those gifts without trying to step on each other in envy of what the other person is able to do. And that's the same thing in church. I have an ability, but I also have a very sober sense of my ability at the piano and the organ and the trumpet. Forget it. It's just not the same. And then he says, not only will we have no illusions, let's get real, but then he says this, the measure of faith. And that is a very nebulous, generic, what's he talking about according to the measure of my faith? He's not talking about the level or the degree of your faith in Jesus. He's not talking about the level of your faith in your giftedness. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the benchmark of our faith, that Jesus was willing to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. What's our response? When Jesus died, we died with him. So are we willing to sacrifice ourselves? How did Paul start off in verses 1 and 2? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's a voluntary act. But because we know Jesus, that's the according to our faith, this is how we respond. 
So according to the measure of faith that we have. It's not that some have more measure and some less. It's Jesus is the benchmark of the measure of our faith. We measure ourselves to Jesus, not one another. That's the key piece in what Paul is saying. Then third point in your outline, third point, third point is we work individually. We work individually united in local community. We work individually united in local community. Verses 4 and 5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, thinking of our own bodies, so in Christ, when we are together as the body of Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What you can do and what I can do when we apply it all together is the body together as God created it to be, working together, functioning together, everybody doing something that God has grace-based given you to do, a gift. When we all apply it, that is a beautiful body. That's a healthy body. That's an energized body, an excited body, a body that's alive, a body that the world can admire and say, what, have you, what do you got there that, that is so important that you get up Sunday mornings? What is it that brings you to another service? What is it that gets you into ministry? Why are you motivated? Where, why do you have the hope that you have? That's all part of when we work together. It's a beautiful example to the world of Jesus and our love for Jesus, and our love for each other, because we belong to each other. One body's talking about our unity, our unity, and I really want to encourage uh, church attendance. I know that online is a great option. When I had my surgery, I was happy to stay home. Um, you, you all looked so much better with oxycodone in my system. Um, <laughs> I was afraid to be here that Sunday. I, wouldn't, I wasn't sure how it was going to play out. But no, seriously, I just needed to rest and relax, and I enjoyed uh, Teen Challenge when they were here. It was wonderful, and I know that you did too. And it's nice to have variety. I love that. In fact, Ron Riesinger will be here at the end of the month um, preaching, so I'm looking forward to him being here too. But what we want to focus on is that one body means unity together. We're together. You can't one another. There's over 40 one another's in the New Testament. You cannot one another one another unless you're with one another. It sounds so stupid but it's true. You can't one another, one another, unless you're with one another. And if we avoid each other, yeah, Lord be with them. I don't know what's going on. If we're not with each other, then we cannot fulfill the 40 or so times that the Bible says to one another. It assumes that we would be together. And it's easy not to. In the Western society, we're very individualistic. I want to do my thing. It's all about me and what I want. I go to church to get something, whereas we should be thinking about coming to worship together to give, right? We belong to each other. There's a whole different approach. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now that you are the body of Christ, de facto, no question about it, and each of you is a part of it, not a lone ranger, you can't be a nose and an eye and an ear and a hand and a foot all at the same time. You can't say that I do church out in the wilderness, that's my church. You can't say I do church listening to the radio or watching a TV preacher. You can't. 
It's biblically incorrect. If you have to, good, great, awesome. But otherwise, every instance in the Bible says we expect to see each other together in a local church. That's the analogy. It's kind of like uh, the cells in my body all have DNA. All of us share something in common, too. All of, our, all of us are like cells in a body. We're all filled with Jesus. And all those cells have a different function in that body. And that's what Paul is saying, because we're rooted in Jesus. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, God placed all things under his feet, that is Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Church itself doesn't mean building. It does occasionally, but not very often. The majority of time in the New Testament when it says church, it means God's people gathered together. That's what that says. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Everything about what we do and who we are is to be filled with Jesus Christ. That's the measure of our faith. And we want to act upon that. Many members, but not all, have the same function. There's a diversity of work. Those offering sacrifices, living sacrifices, that's going to show in different ways. That's what God made us to do. And I think if we think of the local church as a one body, it has a big impact on what we do, doesn't it? If you and I are convinced that the body of Christ is one body collected together in a local church, then that impacts my role and how I see myself when we're gathered together. How about you? It should. It should make a tremendous difference if we'll let that sink in. Each member belongs to all the others. This is Communion Sunday, and a bit will come forward for communion. In Corinth, their communion services were terrible. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, you get to a chapter in chapter 11, verses 23 to 29. You might want to look that up later on today. They are so Roman in their culture that the rich people hosted the church. They had a big enough house that everybody could come. And so you'd go to the rich person's house. But here's the kicker. Their friends, their wealthy friends, their peer group, their social stratus, they got invited to come early. And they had some good food and they had some really good wine. And maybe they got even a little bit tipsy. Then the rest of the congregation would show up, and they got the leftovers and the cheap wine that wasn't so good. And Paul says, this is terrible. You're together, and you're behaving so badly that you don't treat each other as equals in Christ, in love with each other. How do you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't treat them the way you would treat yourself? And he jumps all over them. Um, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, for instance, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. Now, in this case, he's talking about the church, not Jesus. Remember, it's the body of Christ, right? Okay. The body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, if we take communion and we don't love each other and we're not seeing ourselves as equal in the eyes of God through Christ, if we have a caste system, if we have a disparity here, then to take communion without making that right is to not 
bring joy in our lives, but division. And division is chaos, and chaos is sin. And we don't want to do that. I remember one church story I heard was the church was ter- terribly divided. I thank God, by the way, that our, our church has had a lot of love in it for all the times I've been here, and even before I came here. But one church was terribly divided. Oh, they were at odds with each other, you know, and there, were just, there was just this tension in the room. And a minister, without any real expectations, preached a sermon along these lines, and he said, all right, before we take communion, I want us all to get up and cross the aisle, and let's ask for forgiveness, and let's make things right. And he didn't expect anything to happen. The whole church jumped up, met in the middle, reconciled, found love for each other again, and found their way forward, and he was shocked. He didn't expect any sermon to have any kind of real impact. But the Holy Spirit showed up, and people's hearts were changed, and they said, wow, we're on the outs with God with attitudes like this. This is so important that the body of Christ is together. We belong to one another. That's our part of our living sacrifice. We love one another as Christ loves us. We'll do so sacrificially. We'll, we'll do what's in the best person's interest for their own good. You know, we'll bear one another's burdens. If they can't bear their own, we'll help out. We've got a church emergency fund for those critical times where things like uh, housing or Cars could be lost, things like that. We want to help each other out as best we can. Love covers a multitude of sins. So what do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's not a condition for salvation. It's what an expectation would be for a believer. Of course I'll forgive you. That doesn't mean we overlook sin or promote and celebrate it. Maybe there's some work to be done or things to be fixed, but I put you into the Lord's hands and I forgive you. I want to love you for what's best for you. That's our motivation. No punishment. We don't want to rub in the hurts. We want to rub them out, right, out of love. And we don't neglect to meet together. Um, If Hebrews says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I need spurring. How about you? I've been preaching now for over 30 years, and every now and then I get the blahs. You ever get the blahs? Done it for a long time, and some weeks go by, and you're just kind of like, And then somebody sends me a nice email or a card, or a, you get the attaboy or an girl, right? And you go, wow. That just lifts me up. Just last night at the Teen Challenge fundraiser, the, those that sponsor the Teen Challenge, men that are here in Estacada, one guy says that every time he gets a letter, he pins it up on his cork board, and every time he feels kind of blue and low and struggling, he reads that somebody cares about him, somebody's praying for him. In fact, it lifts him up and he feels the courage and the strength to go forward. And that's the body of Christ speaking to one another, right? Don't neglect one another. It's so important that we spur one another on, it says, to good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. COVID was rough. We had almost two years of new habit forming. It only takes six weeks to develop a new habit. We had way more time than that. And I'm so gratified to see you here. It's wonderful. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need you. The church needs each other to be whole and healthy. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 11. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good We can't be common if we're not together, right? All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. 
God knows what a church needs. Some people say, well, what are the plans for the church ministries for next year? And I say, well, it depends upon who's here. If you're a spark plug, I call it, if you're a spark plug, that means you've got something burning in your bosom. You've got this desire. You've got this, I want to see this happen. Then maybe you're the leader for that, and we need to hear from you. Just, just last Sunday, uh, I was asked if we're going to do an alpha course again sometime, and I said, well, I'm thinking about January, maybe in the middle of the wintertime, and Alan volunteered to lead it. And I'm like, praise the Lord. I love doing alpha courses, but I don't have to do alpha courses, an introduction to the Christian faith. This is all good stuff, and we have room at the end for all these wonderful things. There will be a sermon coming up in December that talks about the various ministry opportunities here as well, so stay tuned for that. Uh, sometime in December. I haven't decided yet what, what Sunday. So how do you know? Well, put your God-given gift to work is the fourth point. Put your God-given. Nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. Nobody's going to guilt you. I don't believe in guilt whatsoever in church. Guilt is a powerful motivator but makes everybody really mad, right? It doesn't take long before you get upset about it. I will never try and do that, uh, and forgive me if I ever have. I just don't want to apply that. Let the Bible do the talking. Let the Holy Spirit do the leading. Let that conviction be from God. But I am saying there's a wonderful opportunity here in the body to put our God-given gifts to work. Now, closing, 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. In other words, just as God decides. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. It's just a short list. It's just a kickstart. Paul's not saying, well, I don't, I don't see anything that, that's me in there. He's only saying, here's a sample. There's more. In fact, there are longer lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for instance, and here in Romans 12 are the longer lists, but there are really short lists too, 1 Corinthians 1.7, 1 Timothy 4.14, 2 Timothy 1.6, and Ephesians 4.11. All have these little snippets. What that tells me is nobody's trying to catalog A to Z. Paul is simply saying, look at the variety of parts of the body and share them with one another. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't really have, I'm, not, I'm still struggling, I'm still growing, I'm not sure I can even apply my faith. There's a sign in a church in our town down this direction, and it, I loved it. it. It caught my eye. It says this, even broken crayons still color. And I thought to myself, that is so right. How many of us aren't a broken crayon anyway, you know? And so we still can color, we can still serve, we can still apply God's grace because it's the power of God at work and not just our own. And I think that's so important. 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he's received to what? To serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What part are you? How are you finding that place? He mentions prophesying. That just means to speak forth. In that sense, I've been prophesying with a message for you this morning. Speak forth. And then there's also serving. That's deaconing. We have an office of deacon, but 
every Christian is a deacon. In other words, we're here to serve one another. That's what deaconing is all about. Teaching, the dasko, it means that you're properly teaching the Scriptures, the Word of God accurately. That's a teacher, and if you're going to be the teacher, then teach properly. That's what that says. Parents especially. Church is here to help, but not take your place. He wants you to be the leaders in those Christian educations. Also encouraging. That doesn't mean just comfort. It also means to exhort, to lift each other up, to say, you can do this. I'll help you. What can I do to help? That kind of stuff. Be aware of those around you. Be aware of those that are in the blah weeks, those, I don't know if I've got the energy for this. Encourage them. Pray for them. Come alongside them. Contributing, give generously. What does that mean? It means that you give without any thought to ulterior motives. You just do because you do. You don't even think about it. You just give because you're a giver. All of us are to be givers because God is a giver. But these folks particularly may have a special calling on their lives where they give it extraordinary ways beyond anything that anybody would have imagined. And they don't do it because they're seeking anything. They're not doing it for a tax write-off. They're not doing it to get something back from the church like they're paying in advance for something they hope to receive later on. It's just simple, straightforward, no ties giving. That's what this means. And then leadership, diligent leading, well, that means to head up or take charge or lead, and it means that you throw your life into it. It's not a hobby. It's a calling, and you give yourself to that. You really do throw yourself into the work that God has given you. And then showing mercy, well, do it cheerfully. At the time, they had no hotels or restaurants, and if a Christian was traveling, they needed to find a place to stay that was safe. They did have some inns and things, but oftentimes there was a lot of rough and tumble in those areas. So a Christian home then was key and vital for hospitality, and we were called to watch out for each other, showing mercy, do it cheerfully, visit the sick and the suffering. Pastoral care is what it's talking about, not for the pastor, but for all of us to show that kind of mercy. And then cheerfulness isn't an option. Oh, they're here. Oh, man. Come on in, I guess. We'll deal with it. You know, no, no, no. It's an opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity. If you have that chance with your eyes and ears open to take a missionary that's in our area into your house, then gleefully and gladly do it if this is your part of the body of Christ. Maybe you've got the space for it, the resources for it. 1 Peter 4 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't be a grouch. Do it willingly. And then lastly, I just close with this. Jesus is the measure of our faith and practice. So I'm gonna, I think I printed out the whole thing in your outline there. We cannot fully serve Christ without becoming like Christ. Yes? We cannot fully serve Christ without serving like Christ. And we cannot fully serve Christ without the body of Christ, which is the local church. Jesus is the measure of our faith. And what Paul is asking in reading this, he's asking us, how do we measure up? Do we understand the measure of our faith? Have we applied the gifts that God has given us? And maybe, like me, it takes a while to find out what that is, but be open and available, be a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. Before we take communion, I just thought it would be a good idea to remind us that we want to take a moment and pause.
And in this pause, we want to do a couple things. One is, whatever you've got on your heart that you want to pray to God about, this is your chance to do that before we come to the table. Second of all, ask yourself, how am I doing in my unity in the body of Christ? What's, what's my role in it? Have I been lazy or complacent or ignorant of this? I mean, where are you at with this? A church alive is healthy only when we're all together serving wherever God calls us. So be talking to God about that. Maybe you're not sure what to say. Well, this is your chance to just say, God, I'm listening. Listening. Just listen for what God has to tell you today. And then if you have an, an issue with somebody, maybe you need to, after communion, or maybe even while we're taking communion, uh, square things away. If, for instance, I have a, I'll give you an example, a friend of mine, how to do it and how not to do that. A friend of mine, who's a retired minister now, was an elder with me, and he had an issue with another elder on session. And whatever the elder said was yes, this person would always say no. Didn't matter what it was, they were like the contrary person all the time. And it kind of grated after a while, and finally my friend went to this person and said, I'm so sorry, I've, had, I've harbored a kind of a negative attitude, I, I ask your forgiveness. Now this is what not to do. There's nothing to forgive contrary all over again and he went away from that going ah, I tried um, if somebody even if you don't know it says this has really bugged me and they ask for forgiveness forgive them simple but all this part of communion we're together with Jesus and with each other and that is a spectacular gift from God so let's just take a moment. I'll be, I'll be quiet now. Let's just take a moment and pray. Whatever is on your heart, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that your love endures forever. Thankful, Father, that you're patient with us. That your Holy Spirit is molding and shaping us. And we are maturing. You're transforming our minds. You're transforming our very lives. That there is even eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, sacrificing himself, that we could have life buried in the tomb, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, is coming back someday. And in that interim time, Lord God, help us to be the body of Christ, each one of us a necessary part of it. Help us to find our, 
our footing. Help us to find our ministry. Help us, Lord God, to be encouraged in the service, to be an encouragement to each other, and to be a help to one another, to love one another. Thankful, Father, that we are all a work in progress, but together, Lord God, the light of Jesus shines all the brighter. And so we ask now that you bless this congregation with a witness to the world that is startling and very different from the world that they know, that they would know you and the love that you bring and the unity that you bring. Thank you, Father. As we come to your table, we ask now that your Holy Spirit bless each and every one of us. Enrich us, Lord God, with your love, the power of your Holy Spirit, the truth of your word, and may we truly be your disciples in the world around us and together. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks to the Father, in the midst of his, the meal, he takes that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant sealed in my blood, guaranteed by the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Uh, here at the church, if you're a guest this morning, I hope you're not considering yourself to be a guest. You're always welcome. Um, we have some gluten-free bread in the middle for those that really need to be careful. Otherwise, we have regular bread on either side and cups with the grape juice in there, the juice, the blood of Christ represented. And just take the bread, then take the cup, eat and drink, and then you can drop it into the receptacles on either side. You just come in the middle when you're ready and come down um, when you're ready, as God calls you. We want you to come. The table is open for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's open. It's for you. Together. Come. Thank you. 
ask earlier, does anybody here need communion brought to you? I just want to make sure we don't overlook anybody. Raise your hand if you need communion brought to you. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. Praise the Lord. It's so important. We're together, right? I missed that the other month, and I felt bad about that. One person went home thinking, hey, what about me? And I thought, oh, ah, mistakes happen. Thank God love covers a multitude of sins, right? We made it all right. It was all right. We got it all squared away, but I just don't want to overlook anybody. It's so important. Let's, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the wonderful fellowship, the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all of God's people measured by the faith in Jesus can say, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Come on down to the fellowship, Paul, and enjoy each other's company too. We've got leftover Halloween candy we really must get rid of. (laughs) 